The Litro Lab Podcast. Home But Not by Jared McGuinness. I was 16 and living on my own. I had scrounged a loose change from the couch cushions and ashtrays of the apartment I was crashing at and walked to the 24-hour laundromat with my pillowcase of humming clothes. One of the dryers there had a bullet hole that pitted its face right between the dials. The owner had shot it and left the corpse in formation as a warning to the other machines. Even at two in the morning, naked toddlers wandered between the rows of Maytags. Extended families from grandmothers to teenagers talked and ate from grease-stained boxes of fried chicken, vibrating on the washers, while bass bounced from idling cars in the parking lot. They felt more like a picnic than laundry night. A man stopped me as I was leaving, the bags under his eyes were heavy, carrying two pennies each. His black irises nested in a tangle of blood vessels. He had a green baseball cap, t-shirt that said, Hotlanta, light blue shorts, and knees like tree knots. Hey man, where you going? Can you give me a ride? Man? I just live across the street, where do you need to go? Man, just off the Tuttle, you know man, it'd take you like ten minutes. Man? I liked the way he used the word man. He used it like quotes, like punctuation, like the stop of a telegram. But most of all, he looked like someone who needed to be home, but wasn't, and I understood that. Listen, let me drop off these clothes. I'll get my keys and give you a ride. You got any gas money? He looked down. Not even a buck? Forget it. Oh, man, thank you, man. This is great, man. He sat on the curb. Thanks. I walked off and heard the trailing, man, behind me. I drove back across the street and pulled into the parking lot. He hopped into my car, a little Ford with automotive syphilis eating away at every nut and bolt. I'd bought it for 300 bucks and the number of a girl the previous owner was interested in. Man, I want to thank you, man. I'm ready to be home, man. This day was new this morning, but it's tired and old now, man. Tired and old. Man. He pointed to a cross street and I turned. You know when I was your age? He continued, but his mans had disappeared. I was riding my red Schwinn, and they took it away from me, and they gave me a gun, threw me in a jungle, and had me shoot people. His voice bounced between growling and shouting. I didn't dare make eye contact while he commentated the horrors running through his mind. And I thought of the thousand terrible scenarios of what happens when you share a small space with a madman. Shoot them! Kill them! I was a baby. They took my red Schwinn, and they gave me a black M16. The flashing yellow traffic lights witnessed my car pass beneath. They watched the boy at the steering wheel scared and the man beside him with his eyes squeezed shut. Man? He had become calm again and the hippie telegram returned. Thank you for giving me a ride, man. My name, my name is Porter Floyd, man. You know what? I'm your guardian angel. I remained tense, listening for his other, that angry voice to return. My eyes left the road to see his huge smile aiming at me. Man, you know what? I'm going to set you up, man. Set you up with a quarter pound of weed. Quarter pound, man, tomorrow. You see that shop over there, man? Tomorrow, man, you go behind there, and you're going to find yourself a big old bag of weed waiting for you, man. I said, I'm your guardian angel. Man. We drove in silence again, and he gave directions by wagging a pointing finger. He started to rock in his seat and grimaced, an expression half between a smile and pain. You see this scar? He took his cap off 
and lowered his head, tilting it toward me and pointing at a three-inch mark. They took my bike and they gave me this. I was 18, a baby, never seen a woman naked, and they want me to go kill, go kill, shit, feel it. He put his head closer and pointed at the scar again. Uh, that's okay. Under the passing streetlight, I saw the saucer-shaped indentation. Touch it. I'm cool, I flustered. He banged on the dashboard and raised himself off the seat. He groaned, thrusting his head toward me. Touch it. Okay, chill. I put my finger on the scar. The dark knots of flesh felt hot. A baby, he whispered. One day, I'm riding my red Schwinn. Next, I see red blood. Then he thrashed and pulled at his seatbelt like he could rip it apart. My eyes darted between him and the road. I leaned away as if those extra inches would save me and scanned ahead for a place to slam onto my brakes and jump out of the car. Then, then he fell limp. His head rested on his chest. His eyes closed. He drew breath like he was sleeping. And after a few blocks through a neighborhood freckled with boarded-up houses, he said, Man, I'm going to take care of you. I'm your guardian angel now, man. I'm going to hook you up. Man. Whatever was causing his attacks had passed. His menace dissipated, and I saw him as the lonely old man that he was when he approached me at the laundromat. His promise of being my guardian angel pleased me. I wanted to think there was someone else looking after me. I was 16 and alone, away from home. It wasn't pity that endeared me to him. It was gratitude. He pointed to a house, and I parked beside it. Man, don't you ever come here now, man. I'm going to take care of you, but don't you ever come to this house, man. He got out, and before he closed the door, he leaned in and said, You're guardian angel, man, for life. He fired his smile again and shut the door. Man. Subscribe to Literal Lab Podcast on Spotify.